Welcome to the latest episode of The Jack's Current, a podcast developed by Jack's USA, Northeast Florida's economic development organization. I'm Tina Worth, specializing in workforce development, and I'm here today with my special co-host, Jack's USA president and big kahuna, Jerry Malat. <laughs> Welcome. Glad to be here, Tina. Thank you. <laughs> always, always enjoy working with you. In this podcast, we talk with local leaders about what makes our community so special, and we've shared some of our more memorable job announcements and corporate commitments to the region. Today, we get to be fortune tellers, talking about trends and economic development to look out for in 2018. That's right, Tina. And I tell you, I'm really pleased that our guest today is a good friend of mine, Andy Levine. He's the president of Development Counselors International, or DCI, as we all know it around the country. Since 1960, DCI has worked with over 450 cities, states, regions, and countries, helping them attract investment and tourists and, of course, jobs. Andy is a contributor to Forbes uh, on the topic of marketing places. He's the host of The Project, Inside Corporate Location Decisions, that examines recent site selection announcements by interviewing both company executives and economic developers. Andy, I just always enjoy working with you. Thanks for being with us today. Jerry, thank you for the kind introduction, and um, good to be with both Tina and yourself today. It's great to have a fellow podcaster uh, to talk to today. So, Andy, there are so many changes that have happened in the field of economic development over the last several years, and we have reason to believe that 2018 will bring a time of change to how we traditionally do business as well. Let's take a look back first, though. Give us your take on kind of a retrospective for 2017. Sure. In 2017, I saw two big things that happened, and let me just walk you through those. First, it was the year of Donald Trump. Obviously, there are very strong feelings about our president, uh, some positive, some negative. I think he's actually been a pretty good president for economic development. And I point to things like Foxconn, Toyota Mazda. Candidly, I'm not sure those things would have happened without Donald Trump. I also point to some survey work that we've done. And when we asked corporate executives what were their expansion plans in the year ahead, 33% said they're more likely to expand in the U.S. because of Donald Trump. And that was versus 10% that said they were more likely to go overseas. 57% said his presidency hadn't changed their plans at all. But basically, by a three-to-one margin, more people are saying they're, they're planning to invest in the U.S. That was a survey of U.S. corporate executives. So that was number one. It was the year of Donald Trump and his impact on economic development. Number two, it was the year of Amazon HQ2. This is obviously an amazing company. Jerry, we actually did a podcast with you about Amazon and its sort of role in the Jacksonville area, which has been very significant. Uh, but I think that is sort of a landmark in economic development history as well. I think those are, are very uh, valid deals. Interestingly enough, just today we have a Chinese company in town because of Donald Trump, because of the threat of higher tariffs. They are here looking at doing a large manufacturing project that they would have done in China, but need to serve the U.S. market. So that's very interesting. And as you know, Andy, Amazon is hiring 5,000 full-time people here in Jacksonville right now. I think they're past 4,000 on the ramp up already. And they are changing the world. So it's, it is very timely. So looking ahead for a little bit to 2018 particularly, what do you see as the biggest challenges, uh, Andy, that we can anticipate in economic development or changes from this year? Yeah, I, I see one word that the challenge is, and that's talent. So the unemployment rate around the country is hovering around 4.1% right now. I think it's even less in Jacksonville. Am I right in that, Jerry? Yes, it's yes, down to are. about 3.3% today. So in terms of growth, 
companies are kind of screaming, uh, I need the right talent, I need the right people, and if I can't find that here in, let's say, Jacksonville, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so that's, I think, the major challenge that economic developers are seeing, that without the right talent, it's going to be hard to continue to, uh, to create jobs. I certainly agree with that. You know, when I thought myself, what I look at going forward, talent is it. And in fact, an interesting thing I think that, that we have to pay attention to is that it is not just about attracting jobs. It's making sure we have a place people want to be. Uh, the whole deal that you're an expert in, Andy, uh, placemaking is just so important because that's what's going to help attract the talent to the jobs that we're trying to add here as well. Completely concur, Jerry. Let's go to another topic, and that's on incentives. Uh, it, it's kind of always a hot topic. It seems to be never going away. But particularly here in Florida, it has been. We've managed to dodge some bullets, but, uh, but, but it's been a challenging discussion. Given the current state of affairs, though, on incentives and looking nationally, what do you see as the future of this tool and where it's going for us as we look ahead? Great question, Jerry. So uh, I was at a conference speaking in North Carolina about a week ago, and I got asked this question a little different way, but same basic question. And my conclusion was that the current paradigm and, and I view it really as companies being more in the driver's seat and communities, you know, being a little bit challenged in terms of, you know, having to put forward and respond to companies' requests. I don't see that paradigm really changing anytime soon. I think our political leaders, uh, as well as our economic development leaders, continue to be very hungry to win assignments, very aggressive. I think companies recognize that they can go to many different communities. And, you know, when they get down to a finalist selection, you know, there may be three or four or five finalists that they have. All are probably good choices. And the incentive package that a a company brings to the table can be a last-minute decision maker. So I think, you know, companies are going to continue to be in the driver's seat in this area. I think the whole Amazon HQ2 thing is a really interesting sort of landmark moment, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, if there is a short list that comes out of their selection process and then how they kind of work that short list. So I do not see major changes. I think incentives are still going to be an uh, important issue, and companies are still going to demand them. I've got a, uh, an interesting question that uh, I've never seen happen before, but with a such a low unemployment rate in many communities. Have you seen any community that steps back and says, uh, you know, I'm not going to provide a huge incentive when I don't have a workforce to provide it because it would create more competition locally? Have you seen any communities begin to think differently when we have such a low unemployment rate? Yeah, I I think those types of communities tend to be screened out earlier in the process. But along the lines of what you're saying, Look at Amazon HQ2. I know of two communities, San Jose, California, and San Antonio, Texas, that basically said, we're not going to participate. And the reasons they both cited was their expectation was this project was going to demand a lot of public support. And, you know, Amazon basically said that in their RFP, and they said, we don't feel we need to participate. Um, They didn't specifically cite the job numbers and, and sort of lack of available talent, but they just said, you know, kind of we're going to say pass here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting state of affairs. Uh, and and that is sort of the fortunate problem we're left with, with such a low unemployment rate. Just on that, though, I mean, you also have to contrast that and say, 
248 communities did respond. Uh, you know, those were, as, as far as I know, the only two that basically said we're going to pass here. That's right. I think there was one more in Arkansas, but they probably weren't going to get it anyway. Amazon generates the hype, (laughs) (laughs) definitely. So, Andy, um, Jerry referenced it earlier, you know, in talking a little bit about placemaking as a talent attraction and retention strategy. That sort of ties into quality of life in a community. Are there particular aspects that you're seeing as emerging most important when reaching business decision makers, site consultants, and that talent that we're trying to draw? Yeah, let's let's focus on talent attraction for a moment because I think that is kind of uh, the new path for a lot of economic development groups. And just by way of background, the focus has typically been on workforce development. Let's take people who are unskilled or have lower skills, let's raise them up, and let's try to get them to fill these higher-skilled jobs. So there's been a lot of work in that area, and I think there have been mixed levels of success in different communities. But I think what a lot of communities are seeing now is that workforce development by itself is not going to be sufficient to solve their talent problem. So that is leading places in Jacksonville, maybe among them, to say we need to focus in on talent attraction. So we did a survey just about six months ago, and we called it the Talent Wars, in which we surveyed about 1,000 millennials, and we asked them what they look for in a community, what is the driver that would get them to relocate for a new opportunity. We sort of expected we would hear about certain millennials that would basically, I'm going to move to a place that I want to live, and then I'll find a job there. We found kind of exactly the opposite. When we did the surveying, things that came out as most important to millennials in in considering a move was, number one, the salary. Number two, the work-life balance that that company would offer them. And number three were the benefits. Location actually came out number six in that survey. Hmm. So that doesn't mean that there isn't a millennial in the world that won't move to a place without a job, but it just means that their consideration set focuses probably more on pocketbook and money issues than it does on location. Location is still important, but if a community, for example, were, were building a website to focus on talent attraction, I would advise them to focus on available jobs in the area and the companies that are there. Jacksonville, as an example, has been going through a process to identify our DNA. Who are we and what makes us a great place to live? And it's come out that it's all about water, the water life here with the ocean, the river, intracoastal, and so many other things. And our people love it here. But what you're saying is if they want to come here, it won't be that for that first. It'll be to get a job or to... Um, or to have the ability to live well and then enjoy that. But, you know, that reminds me, Jerry, that one of the things that we should then put forward is our lower cost of living. Because I think when people look at the wages and the benefit packages, if they understand how far your dollar goes in this market, I think that's a talent attraction strategy we need to keep in mind. I think that sounds like it matches your study, Andy. That's an excellent point. Uh, What we are seeing in this study is that pocketbook issues are really what's driving a lot of location decisions for, for talent. Here in Jacksonville, we've had a number of headquarters locations uh, over the last uh, number of years. It seems like that could be slowing down, or what are you seeing in the national marketplace? Are headquarters moves still uh, viable and remaining steady or declining? You know, I haven't looked at it from a data perspective, uh, Jerry. I'm I'm not sure if, if headquarter moves are up or down. Difficult for me to answer, I guess, Jerry. Yeah, that's okay. Well, I hope we continue to see it because a lot of the moves tend to be to the south, but uh, they've been good for us over the years. 
Jacksonville has obviously done really well in that space. Andy, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. But before we let you go, we always like to end on kind of a quirky note. Um, we want to find out something that maybe no one knows about you. So can you tell our listeners, what's the oddest job you've ever had? It's hard to limit it to one job, so I'm going to give you two. So uh, the first job I ever had, I lived in a town called Rye, New York, which was along Long Island Sound. And I was, I think, 14 years old. I just got my working papers. And I got a job, and it was sort of like the worst possible job you could imagine. My job was cleaning the toilets at the town beach. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, bad. That's bad. starting at the bottom, you know. By, by comparison, everything looks good now. But uh, you, you would just dread the 4th of July weekend because you knew what, what the 5th of July would bring. So that's number one. The, uh, the second job I had uh, was actually a couple of years later. I was in college, and I signed up as a Pinkerton guard to work over the summer. And my assignment, Frito-Lay, a company you're probably familiar with, they had sort of a, a union challenge, and they were concerned about union members uh, damaging some of their trucks. So my job in the heat of the summer, this 90-degree heat, was guarding these trucks. And uh, it was just literally me and, you know, maybe 40 trucks in the hot sun eight hours a day. Oh uh, so it was a horrible job. But those were, those are the two that came to mind. Those are, those are character-building jobs right there, I'd say. And, and <laughs> I think so. you learned a lot from it. You're doing well. <laughs> Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Jerry, thank you. You make an excellent guest co-host. Well, I've enjoyed it. And, Andy, it's always good to catch up with you. Thanks for letting me join you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to The Jack's Current. Plan to join us next month when we have John Delaney on air, former mayor of Jacksonville and our 15-year sitting president of the University of North Florida. He's going to share with us his insight and probably an interesting story or two. So be sure to tune in. And until next time, I'm Tina Orth.